They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hedadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and head of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. But the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for all that it teaches us. Thank you that as we read your word, your word changes our lives. It changes our mind. Lord, I pray that tonight your word would do its work in our lives. That your word would make us look more like you. That it would change our lives and into the shape of your son. We love you. We ask that you do this. It's for your beautiful name and your glorious name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is, this is the story of Ezra. And the story of Ezra is a story of the temple. The temple is really the central figure in this book. In fact, the, the guy Ezra, the book is named after, doesn't even show up until the sixth chapter. We only read chapter three. There, there's, there's seven more chapters in the book of Ezra. And the, the central figure of the story of Ezra is, is the temple. It is this building. If you remember a, a few weeks ago, over the summer, we talked about the first temple. The first temple was built by, by Solomon. And, and when the first temple was built, God spoke some words. And I want to draw your attention to, to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14. Because if we don't have this in mind when we, when we, think, about, when we think about what's happening, if we don't have this background in mind, we're going to miss what's going on in this story. 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, that I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. This is what God speaks during, during the dedication of the first temple. That temple building is destroyed by a foreign nation, it's burned to the ground, and now, many years later, about a about hundred years later, the people have returned to Jerusalem, they've rebuilt the altar, now they're beginning to rebuild the temple. What we need to understand is that the temple is an important part of Jewish life and culture. You you may have heard this a couple times, and that's not without accident. It is because the temple is the single most important building in the history of the Jewish people. It's possibly the single most important building in the history of of our faith. 2,000 years later, we are still affected by the temple building and, and, and what it represents and what it means. And so there's a reason that it functions as the central figure in so many stories, because it is a very important place. It's an important building. What the temple is, is the temple is a place of repentance. The temple is a place of repentance. And the, we, we see this in 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from them, will forgive their sin, and humor them. This is the purpose of this building. It's a place where God's people can come and turn from their wicked ways, and God will forgive their sin. 
The, the temple is this important, critical building. And, and so we can very easily read Ezra chapter 3, and, and we can read about this rebuilding of the temple. We can get very bored with this story. Because there's so many names. Zerubbabel, Shealtiel, Jeshua, Josadak, the, the Levites, the Kadmiel. All, all these names, all these genealogies, all these records. They talk about building a building. And it can seem very mundane. It can seem very insignificant and small. But, but the reality is that these things that seem insignificant and small to us are incredibly critical to the people who, who are reading this, the people who this is written to. This is, this is like the, the peak of, of their, their restoration. The, the people know that God is moving and God is working when the temple begins to be rebuilt. That's a sign to the people. God is working. God is moving. The same way, it's a sign in our lives that God is moving and God is working when we begin to repent. When we begin to, to, to come to, to our, our temple. You'll notice today that we did not come to a temple today. We, we came to a, a building that's kind of oddly shaped because of zoning regulations, but, but it looks like many other buildings. In fact, there, there's many other church buildings throughout our city. There, there, there's nothing special per se about this building. We, we, we live in a different system now. We live in a, a different re- religion almost where, where we no longer come to a temple structure to worship. Instead, we are ourselves the temple of God, individually and collectively. I have a lot of scriptures tonight because the word of God talks about the temple all over the place. It's such an important idea that it's strung throughout scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And what Paul is reminding us is that we are the temple of God. We no longer come to a building because of the finished work of Christ on our behalf. We don't have to go somewhere far away to come to God. Instead, God has come to us. God dwells within us. And so we are the temple of God because the temple of God is the place where God's presence dwells. And for the people of God, God's presence dwells within us. Dwells with us. He dwells among us as we gather together. We, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. This, this spiritual house phrase echoes this idea of a temple. In fact, the very word is the word oikos, which is the, the, the Greek word that, that is a, a house, a place where, where someone lives and dwells. We together are a place, a spiritual dwelling, where the presence of God comes among us. We are this temple. And just as the first temple was a place of repentance, so we too, in this new temple, a collection together, a covenant community coming together, we are God's temple. And the function of the temple remains the same. My people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Our temple is still a place of repentance. Our temple is still a place of repentance. I, I want to give you one big idea tonight. And, and this is that repentance is the means by which you restore fellowship with God. Repentance is the way that we restore fellowship with God. See, you and I can very easily be out of fellowship with God. For, for the unbeliever... For, for those of you in this room who, who have not come to, to, to the faith that, that God's people share, who have not come to, to saving faith in Jesus Christ, 
The, the, the scriptures are clear. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, You are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Scripture says that for those outside of Christ, for those still in their sin, we are objects of wrath, destined for destruction, sons of disobedience, following the prince of the power of the air, which is, which is Satan. We, we need to understand, in order to understand why repentance matters so much, we need to first understand that sin is a big deal to God. Sin is a big, big deal to God. We live in a world that doesn't necessarily understand this, but Scripture is very clear. And then the solution that God provides is repentance. For the unbeliever, God provides the solution of repentance. Acts 3.19, repent therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Sin is a big deal to God, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Repent therefore. Turn back that your sin may be blotted out. This is the message of Scripture for the unbeliever. Repent of your sin. Sin is a big deal to God. It, you, you stand condemned in your sin, so repent of your sin. Return to God. For the believer, sin, sin presents a, a different challenge, however. Those of us who are in Christ, who, who are part of the spiritual house, who are part of the body of Christ... Scripture says in Romans 8, chapter 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, God has done by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the believer, for those of us following Christ in the room, our sin, because believe me, us believers are not perfect people. Just, just because I follow Christ doesn't mean I suddenly have now ascended to a higher plane of reality and no longer struggle with sin. But for the believer who, who, who deals with sin in our lives, so there is no condemnation. Scripture is very clear, and, and, and we have to build from here and, and understand that, that there is no condemnation against your sin, believe me. Your sin cannot separate you from God. Romans is, is clear later on in the chapter, that neither height nor death nor angels nor demons nor any created thing, nor, nor things present nor things to come, nothing will separate you from the love of God. And I could give you a, a volume, a slew of scriptures that, that, that would encourage you and remind you that your sin is not a death sentence. Believer, Christ took your death sentence. Sin was a death sentence, and Christ paid it in full. You are united to Christ, as we learned in Ephesians this summer. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places currently. Think about this. In the process of your sin, you are still seated in heavenly places with Christ. That might help you rethink what you're about to do when you're sitting next to Christ. Do you really want to do that sitting next to him? Just, just a good question. These are just things that help motivate me in, in my personal fights and struggles. However, 
fellowship with God, believer. Isaiah chapter 59, this is written to the people of God, those who are part of his covenant community, those whom he has called and chosen. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but, get this but, your iniquities have made a separation. That word iniquities is just sins. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The, the theme is continuous. Sin is still a big deal to God. Believe it. Your sin will not separate you from the love of God. Your sin will not condemn you. Your sin will not damn you. But your sin will make a separation between you and your God. Your sins will hide his face from you. See, even as believers who sin, we will experience a loss in our fellowship with God. Sin won't condemn you or, or damn you, but sin will hurt your fellowship with God. It's like, it's like a wall goes up, and, and, and now what was this, this really perfect communication, face-to-face, -face, like Scripture says, now there's a veil that's come in place. Now, now there's something, and, and it's like, you know when you wake up in the morning and, and you take a shower, or, or at night you take a shower, and like, I have put in contacts. This morning I was trying to put in contacts after I took my shower. And, and the mirror's all fogged up. And it is really difficult to put contacts in without a mirror. Maybe it's not for those of you who do it like all the time. I'm still new to this. And I need that mirror to help me out. So I come to this mirror and I'm trying to get him in and I cannot because it's all this fog. You know, the mirror's still there. There's still a reflection there. But, but, but now there's all this fog in the wind and it's tough for me to see. My fellowship with the mirror is, is, is now hurt. That's kind of what it's like for, for, for those of us we, we come to God, and, and He's still there. His face is still there. He, he, he's still part of our lives. He, he doesn't love us any less than our sin. But it's fogged up. We, we can't see, but as a result, it begins to affect our lives. We don't, we don't live our lives as well as we could or should. Things that were easy for us become difficult. Things that we need to do in order to live our lives become incredibly difficult to do. Our, our, our relationship is, our, our, our fellowship is, is damaged. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, or is ear dull that it cannot hear. There is hope for us in our sin. 1 John 2, 1 is maybe one of my favorite verses. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. Don't sin. Sin is a big deal to God. Do you catch this theme? Sin is a big deal to God. I'm writing these things so you may not sin. Sin is going to hurt your fellowship with God. It's going, it's, it's going to cause problems for you. It, it's going to ruin and destroy your life. But, catch this but. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Little children, don't sin. But, but, but. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. We, we need to do that little bit of theology in order to understand how, how we are to, to properly repent. Repentance is the means by which we restore our fellowship with God through Christ on the basis of what He has done, not on what we have done. Not, not on the basis of how bad we feel, not on the basis of how sorry we are, but on the basis of what Christ has done. He is the advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous what I want to do in about 10 minutes here is I want to give you three changes of biblical repentance. The, the word for repentance is the word metanoelo, and it means to change your mind. Metanoelo, change of the mind. And, and so you can write this down in your blank. Repentance equals change. 
Repentance equals change. When you repent, there is a change that takes place. I want to talk about the three changes that come with biblical repentance. We, we are repenting from sin. We are repenting toward God. So every time that we have repentance, there's a change that happens. We are changing from sin. We're changing towards God. We need both. The, the first change is a change of mind. A change of mind. When I repent, my mind is changed. What this means is I begin to think differently about sin. I recognize sin for what it is. The, the, this action in my life, this attitude in my mind, these thoughts that I'm having, I recognize and I change my mind. Before I thought they were just harmless thoughts. Before I thought I was just enjoying God's creation, if you know what I mean. Now, I've changed my mind. And I'm recognizing, well, that's lust. That's sin. I can't do that. Before, I thought it was just, man, I'm annoyed with that person. No, it is a sinful attitude. I'm changing my mind. Before, before I, I thought one thing about this. But now I'm changing my mind. I'm thinking of something different. I'm thinking of it in a, in a different way. I'm recognizing well, that sin. We live in a world that does not know how to do this very well. We live in a world that does not like to call sin, sin. For, for many of us, this may be the hardest part. We don't want to call things sin. We have a whole society that wants to normalize sin, wants to accept sin. It, what, 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 what the scripture would call sin, the world would say expressing yourself. Being the real you. Living your best life. No, scripture says that's sin. This is the hardest part for, for, for many of us. But, but we need to be honest. We need to change our mind about sin. Now, now I, 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 can't, I, I can't go with you every step of your day and tell you what is and what is isn't sin. It's sometimes hard to tell. right? We, we live in a world where if you go to the media, you go to your teachers, you go to your friends, they're just going to normalize and accept everything. Luckily, we have a place we can go that gives us God gives us a definition of what sin is. This is why it's so important that you're in your Bible. Sin is a big deal to God. And if you're not reading this book, you're not going to know it when you see it. You have to have a guide to, to get you out of your sin. You have to have something that's going to change your mind. God's standard is incredibly higher than we can imagine. Scripture says, if we say we don't have sin, we are deceiving ourselves. We, we have a standard here. We need to change our minds about sin. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is acceptable and perfect. This is the first change of repentance. We need a change of our mind. This is, this is what, what repentance is. The, the second change of repentance is a change of heart. A change of heart. And we need this because sin is a big deal to God. Sin grieves God. And so we need to be grieved by sin. We, we don't need to only change our mind about sin, but, but not, not only our head needs to change, our heart needs to change. We need to not feel something different about sin. Sin is grievous. Sin is terrible. We need to be sickened by sin. Even the, the, the little things, the, the tiny things, the little white lies... The, the, the little moments of disobedience, the, the, the little moments where your attitude isn't exactly what it should be, the, the little moments where you're not as loving as, as you ought to. We need to be sickened by these things. 
A heart of repentance. It, it requires a changed heart. This is just a great prayer to pray on a regular basis. God, make me sick of my sin. God, I, I, I've changed my mind, but my heart is not yet sick. God, make me sick of my sin. We, we, we need this change of heart. We need to feel differently about, about our sin. In Ezra chapter 10, throughout the whole book of Ezra, the, the people are rebuilding the temple. In chapter 3, they begin this rebuilding process. And the whole book is just the story of rebuilding the temple. And they finish, and in chapter 10, the very first thing they do when they finish the temple is they, is they begin this, this repentance. They begin an act of repentance. In Ezra chapter 10, verse 1. Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. A very great assembly of men, women and children, gathered him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly. Israel had been living in this state where God had told them not to marry foreign women. And you think, man, not marry foreign women? Why is this such a big deal? Again, God's standard is incredibly higher than you can imagine. Things that seem small and insignificant to us it's just a foreign wife, are a big deal to God. Like this, this is for God's people at God's time. I'm, I'm not trying to condemn interracial marriage or anything before you get on Twitter and start putting your hot takes. That you have to get the whole counsel, guys. This is why Pastor Gabe wants an anonymous church, so he can put out some hot takes or one message about interracial marriage. Man. But, but God's people in this time, God had made a command. You're not going to marry anyone outside of, of my people. And, and he has a good reason for this. Because they're going to draw you away from me. They're, they're going to cause you to go different directions. Today, I, I think we have, a, we have a similar thing. You shouldn't marry yourself mentally. You should marry yourself emotionally. You should marry yourself physically or spiritually to people who are outside of the community of God. Yeah. It's no longer a racial thing. And it's now a covenant community thing. We don't get in relationships. We don't date non-Christians. This is just practical. Yeah. Don't date a non-Christian. It's going to ruin your life. Israel is screwed over because they start marrying people who are outside of the covenant community. You look at all the problems that Israel had in Kings and Chronicles, every single one of them began with them intermarrying with a foreign nation. All of Solomon's failures, all of David's failures, every single time, this begins with they broke this simple command of God. Don't marry someone outside of the tribe of Israel. They do these things. It causes all, screws their nation over. One of the major contributing factors to the, the the, um, the dispersion and, and their destruction. God's, God's rules matter. God's rules have a point. But, but the people recognize this and they realize they've screwed up again. They come before the house of God and they weep bitterly. This is the mark of a heart that is repentant. This is the mark of a changed heart. Bitter weeping towards their sin. Recognizing, man, I have missed the standard. I have messed up. I, it's now a change of heart. Remember, it's a change from sin, and it's a change to God. I begin to feel different about my sin. I now recognize, man, sin is grieving God. Sin is grieving me. My, my heart is breaking over my sin. Here, here's what this means. I no longer love sin. I, this doesn't mean I stop sinning, but it means my love for it has, has grown cold. Now I can't enjoy sin. Famous preacher said, God never allows a Christian to sin successfully. There's something in my heart, even when I'm in the midst of sin, that just does not feel right. It's, it's messed up. And, and, and I recognize this feels wrong. This is contrary to my nature. This is not who I'm supposed to be. 
What am I doing? What was once sweet is now bitter. One of my favorite pastors, Paul Washer, says, The evidence of spiritual maturity is not sinless perfection, but a growing abhorrence of sin, a hatred of sin, a deeper contrition, humility when we sin, and a more eager confession of sin. This is the mark of a changed heart, a change of heart. And, and, and this feeling about sin, this isn't something I can do on my own. I can't just sit and meditate on my sin and try to feel really bad. This is something God helps me in. All of repentance is a work that, that the Holy Spirit aids and, and begins. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. This is a work of God, the work of repentance, the change of heart. The final change, the final change of repentance is a change of action. A change of action. You'll notice in, 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 Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, Ezra, in Ezra chapter 3, the altar comes before the temple. Before, before they begin repenting, before they complete this actual repentance and rebuild the temple, they first rebuild the altar. They begin to take action. They, they make sacrifices. Repentance is going to involve sacrifice. You can't have a temple without an altar. In order for you to truly repent, you need to change your mind, you need to change your heart, you need to change your action. It's going to require sacrifice and some things. There's a reason we preached last week before this week. Because if you don't get last week, you're not, you're not going to be able to fully enter into repentance. If you're not willing to sacrifice, if you're not willing to give up your sin, if you're not willing to turn, to turn from sin towards God, Repentance is not going to be successful. It requires a change of action. This is, this is brick by brick repentance. One action at a time. One habit at a time. One choice at a time. I, I, I'm going to repent of, of my sinful thoughts. And, and I'm going to begin thinking godly thoughts. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. It gives, I don't know how to screen anything, but it gives us a great, you can go read it on your own. It's, it's a great way to, to pattern your thoughts towards God, a repentance of, of thought, repentance of, of action. After they weep bitterly, it says in verse 2 of Ezra chapter 10, and Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, saying, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. I love that. Even now, he, he lives, we've done all this stuff, but even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Verse 3. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites of Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took the oath. If, if you're going to repent, if you're going to have this change of action, pause. Just pause. You need to live outside of the moment. It's, we get caught up in sin so often because we're just in the moment. And, and it feels right. It, it feels like a good thing to do. Well, we, just, we just do it. Pause. Okay. I'm changing my action. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this instead. You, your mind's changed. Your heart's changed. Now pause. This feels wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. Okay, I'm going to change my mind. Good. Pause. Pause. 
take a break. This is what the people do. They're in the middle of their disobedience. They're in the middle, and then they pause and say, hey, let's do something about this. Let's not just keep feeling bad. Let's actually do something and make a change. Here's two things, real quick, that we need for brick by brick repentance, for a change of action. Begin by making a commitment. Verse 3, they make a covenant before our God to put away all these wives and their children. They make a covenant. They make a commitment. If you're going to have a repentance of action, it starts with a commitment. It starts with a decision. I am going to follow what God has commanded. I'm going to do what he says. I'm, I'm going to pause. I'm going to stop. I'm going to do something different. I'm making a commitment. I'm choosing and, and, and deciding. And this, a commitment is something you make beforehand. If you wait till you get in the moment of sin to say no, you're not going to do it. If you wait till the temptation is right in front of you, you're going to fail. You're not going to make it. You have to make a commitment beforehand. I am not going to do it. Not, not even going to think about it. Not even going to go there. Not, not, not even going to walk in that direction. You have to decide. I'm committed to God's plan. I'm committed to God's choice. Does this mean that you'll be perfect every time? Of course not. But it means I've decided beforehand. I am walking a different direction with my life. I'm, I'm doing something different. The second thing you need to do, make a beginning. Make a beginning. Ezra chapter 3, verse 8. Now in the second year, after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen. You don't have to be perfect. You just need to make a beginning. You need to make a start. That's good. We, we, we did this last week. It was, it was fun, so I'm going to do it again. Brick by brick, one at a time. One act of repentance. And maybe I screwed up the next time, and I, and I try and, whoops, screwed that up. Okay? I'm going to make a beginning again. Next time, maybe, maybe okay, I've made a beginning. I'm, I'm going to do a little bit more. You keep, you keep going at it. But you make a beginning. You don't have to be perfect at, at, right at the get-go. They didn't build the temple in a day. They made a beginning. They laid a foundation. One action at a time. One brick at a time. It's a change of action, so take action. As, as Shia LaBeouf so, so graciously reminded us last week, just do it. Begin. Take action. Make it a habit. One action at a time. The, I don't know if you're familiar with the 21 90 rule. You do something 21 days in a row, now it's a habit. Do it for 90 more days and it becomes a lifelong commitment. 21 90. Three months and three weeks is all it takes. You want to start getting yourself out of some sin struggles? Begin to make a commitment. Begin to make a beginning. Start doing it. Three weeks. Make a commitment every day. I'm not going to do this. For, for, for three, three weeks. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to look at that. I, I, I'm not going to act like that. I, I, I'm not going to talk like that. I, I'm not going to go to this thing. Or whatever it is for you. Make that commitment. Three weeks. And then 90 days. Follow up on that habit. You, you've given yourself a start. You've made a beginning. Now build on it. This is, this, is, this is what it looks like to repent. We'll, we'll close with this. You can stand as we close. As we're in chapter 4, we're, we're getting ready to, to break into our small groups real quick. We're going to have a few minutes to, to chit-chat. And as we're in chapter 4, they make this beginning. They, they, they start in this temple. And the very next thing that happens, and I love this because the Bible is so real, and this is just relatable to my life. 
They, they, they do this thing, and then the very next thing that happens is their enemies come, their adversaries oppose them, they begin to write letters that badmouth them to the rest of the nations. And, and, and actually, the rest of Ezra is a collection of these letters back and forth between these opponents of the temple and, 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 and rulers in Babylon, back and forth, this, this correspondence. The very first thing that happens when you begin to make a beginning, when you begin to start acting differently, people are going to start opposing you. There, there's going to be friends asking you, how come, how come you're not coming to that party anymore? Hey, how come you're not laughing at, at the jokes? You, you, used to thought, you, you used to think those jokes were really funny, and now you don't laugh at them anymore. Why, why not? You, you used to come and, and, and go drinking with us. Why, why not? Why are you staying home? What's wrong with you? you used, whatever it is, you used to all this opposition comes. The very next day, and that's just, so, that's just so real life. The moment you begin to make a change, the moment you begin to, to, to make a beginning, opposition comes. People begin to... to to, to, to oppose you and push back and, and try to convince you, you man, what is this? This is, this is fake. This isn't you. No, this is me now. The old me was the fake one. This is the new me. This is the real me. This is me that's been purchased and bought by Christ. I'm a new creation. So, so yeah, this kind of is. This is the new me. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. So this is just a promise of scripture. Opposition comes, but God's people stay firm to the opposition. And they push back and say, no, we are doing this. We have made a beginning, and, and they continue building. They continue building, even in the middle of opposition. And by the end, by the end of the book of Ezra, they've built this temple. The building happens brick by brick, one verse at a time, one letter at a time, one chapter at a time. In, in your life, one action, one habit at a time. The temple is rebuilt. Make a change of mind. Make a change of heart. Make a change of action. Let's pray, and we'll dismiss the small groups. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us and it changes us and informs us. Pray, pray that we would begin to see our lives changed by your word. Pray that we would change our minds about sin. Pray that we change our hearts and how we feel about sin. Pray that we live differently in our lives. We would make the beginning change our action about sin. We love you. It's for your beautiful name and your glorious name we pray. Amen. 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 Middle school, you are Check with me. In the reserve. High school, you're in here with Pastor Gabe. High school and college, you should say. College